0: And another thing. And another thing. And another thing. And another thing. Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set the bar in the world of podcasts. My name is Jody Jenkins. My name is Tony Clement. And we are very excited to welcome you back once again. Not you, Tony, because you're here pretty much every week, but I meant our listeners out there. That's who we're excited to welcome back. And we certainly appreciate the support week in and week out. And speaking of support, we couldn't do this show with a couple good friends of the program, including the team at Municipal Solutions who bring the show to you each week. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And Tony, I know that you can share a little bit more about that.
1: Yes, John Mutton and the crew are there for you. There's no question that they are Ontario's leading MZO firm. They specialize in development services and project management, which includes development approvals, permit expediting planning services with municipalities, engineering and architectural services, minor variances, land severances, and even getting those building permits done. Go to municipalsolutions.ca. John and the gang are ready to help you out. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we're on terrestrial radio every Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m., 88.7 FM, huntersbayradio.com. You'll see a selection, uh, actually, of podcasts, but ours starts every Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m.
0: And looneypolitics.com is your home for exclusive news content that you cannot get anywhere else, including episodes of this show, uh, which reminds me, we should, we should probably do another one for them. But Yeah,
1: we've, uh, we'll, we've, we've we'll got to continue
0: it. to plug them. We've got, um,
1: a, we've got it scheduled, Jody. We, we have we, the interview scheduled.
0: Oh, okay. Well, who's that one with? With Can Mel- you say?
1: Melanie Parody.
0: Oh, yes, and I won't be doing that one. No, you won't be. <laughs> I've, I've, I've banned that one from my, yeah. my schedule, my playbook. Uh, anyway, loonypolitics.com. Use the code podcast to get 50% off an annual subscription. And uh, do yourself a favor, do that now. Looneypolitics.com Use the code podcast and uh, thank us later. All right, so we've got a wonderful guest we will get to right away. I was going to mention something off the top, but we can we can save that for later. So why don't you introduce the guest and we'll go from there.
1: Yes, it's our pleasure and, and another thing podcast pleasure to have with us, John Faso. He is a U.S. attorney. He was a congressman for the 19th Congressional District of New York from 2017 to 2019 as a Republican. And he previously served in the New York State Assembly from nineteen eighty seven to two thousand and two. John Faso, welcome to the program.
2: Tony, great to be with you and your listeners again. and uh, uh, hope things are well with you up north.
1: Well, we have uh, we just had the the, uh, the Queen's uh, uh, funeral, as you know, uh, recently, so that was the big thing. And then I think I think Jody and I are going to talk about Justin Trudeau's involvement, aren't we, Jody, uh, at the end of this program?
0: Possibly, yes.
1: Possibly, but the, the nature of this interview is going to turn it a little bit away from the, uh, the British Commonwealth and towards our brothers and sisters in the United States of America. And of course, uh, I'm sure our listeners are interested in the state of play in the U.S. as we approach the midterms. And what better source than a former congressman, uh, John Fassel. So give us your sense of what the race is all about and the state of the race right now.
2: Well, I think uh, the, the races are in flux. And that's, uh, uh, that's a little bit of a way of saying that uh, it's anyone's guess right now how, how everything turns out. We have all 435 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives that are up and uh, one third of the U.S. Senate is up for election this year. Um, I think the, the outlook in the 50, 50 U S Senate is, uh, decidedly cloudy. It is there, it's going to come down to four or five, maybe six Senate races. And, uh, I think that it's a 50, 50 proposition as to whether Republicans or Democrats will win control. Um, there are a couple of very highly contested seats. We can go into specific states like Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, Ohio, Arizona, um, New Hampshire, Washington State, perhaps, uh, the state of uh, Nevada, and also Colorado. Those are, the, those are the places where the most competitive U.S. Senate seats are, are up for grabs. The House, the, the picture is a little bit different uh, while polls suggest that Democrats have narrowed some of the gap they were facing early uh, in uh, this year, and President Biden's approval rating in most polls has has ticked upwards uh, slightly, he is now in the low to mid, even mid forties, and the president's approval rating is going to be a big uh, factor in terms of uh, whether Democrats uh, keep control or Republicans take control. The biggest factor against the Democrats is history. In the first off-year election after a new president is elected, his party uh, normally will take it on the chin in that first by-election, the first two years after uh, a new president is inaugurated. And by historical standards, the incumbent party will lose approximately 26 seats in the House of Representatives. Since the Democratic margin in the House is currently five seats, it is pretty likely that Republicans, I would say an 80% shot, 80% chance that Republicans will win control. But we still have almost two months left. Um, There are a number of close races across the country and uh, enormous amounts of money are being spent in these races for the House. Um, You also have a lot of uh, closely contested gubernatorial and state level races. Here in New York State, for instance, the entire state legislature runs every two years. Uh, A lot of very strongly contested races in in New York, states like uh, Texas and uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania, etc. So uh, I think that uh, the race where it stands now, Tony, it, it's it's definitely the Senate is a 50-50 proposition as to which side wins. Likely that Republicans take over control of the House of Representatives. Uh, and um, uh, as we get closer, of course, uh, we'll know better. But uh, the, true, the true result will be known on uh, late in the night, early morning on November 8th and 9th.
1: Thank you for that. I, I re- would like to just dig a little deeper. You mentioned President Biden, of course, and he's had some some wins uh, legislatively. And uh, I'd like you, like you to talk about that, uh, the CHIPS Act and the Inflation Reduction Act, and uh, the, also the impact of the, of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It seems to have energized Democrat supporters. Is that a, is that a correct reading of things?
2: Yeah, I think I think the Roe v. Wade decision uh, definitely uh, has energized uh, Democrats, and um, the, the the public, if you if you really get into polling on that question, the public has a very nuanced view. It's not they don't look at it as a simply a black or white issue, but I think that the uh, Democrats have clearly been able to uh, capture that issue, and it is it does mobilize their base. However. All the polling that I have seen, uh, both private polling and uh, uh, public polling across the country suggests that the economy and inflation remain the overriding issues and concerns of the average person. And you see it when you drive past the gasoline station, you see it when you're in the supermarket, Uh, you see it all across the economy, prices are up and you notice it. I've noticed that myself going grocery shopping that the package of, of English muffins that my wife likes to buy in the past were either two for five dollars or they'd be about three twenty-nine a package. Uh, last week I purchased them four ninety-nine a package. So those kind of things are, are what are hitting the average person, the average family as they're shopping for their kids going back to school clothes. Uh, they're seeing cost increases there so inflation in the economy the uncertainty we have interest rates going up because of inflation and um, because the federal reserve has decided they're going to try to clamp down on on the inflationary spiral uh, the biden administration and the president himself have kind of stumbled on this issue um, inflation is running it over in excess of eight percent right now and. Americans under fifty aren't used to seeing that. Right. Uh, uh, I can remember when I got my first home mortgage back in nineteen eighty one. My uh, interest rate was thirteen and seven eighths, and uh, uh, I think the mortgage rate now is between five and six percent uh, for most uh, home buyers. Yeah, so I think
1: it actually hit six percent in some states. Eh.
2: That's that's, that's right. It has and. Uh, uh, So uh, most folks are, are, you know, they were gotten accustomed to uh, two and a half, three and a half percent mortgage interest rates, and uh, they're not going to see those again for quite some time, I think.
1: So I guess the other factor, uh, and I guess we've been dancing around it, is the Trump factor. So uh, take us through a little bit of your analysis on that.
2: Well, you know, I, I've said to people that the National Democratic Party and Donald Trump have the exact same interest at the present, which is talk about Donald Trump. Yeah. And um, Democrats uh, don't want to talk about inflation or the economy. They want to talk about Trump and January 6th and and abortion. And those issues are certainly uh, important. And they're certainly very important in the minds of Democratic voters and, and to some extent, uh, independent swing voters. Uh, but I think that uh, uh, it's true that Republicans, if they're in a district or a state that Trump lost, uh, they really don't wanna be talking about Donald Trump in, in, in this election. Right. Democrats, on the other hand, uh, wanna be talking about him. him. Uh, on the other hand, Democrats also are not exactly embracing President Biden coming in and campaigning for them. So that may change as his approval rating has ticked upwards uh, but I think in most uh, states that are that are up for grabs in most swing congressional districts and swing gubernatorial uh, races across the country, you're not going to see the Democratic candidate inviting uh, mr. Biden in to campaign for them um, so, it, it's it, Both parties have, have some things they prefer not to talk about. And for many Republicans, it's Donald Trump. And for many Democrats, it's Joe Biden.
1: Who are the, uh, the most interesting or even most controversial races in the Senate right now?
2: Well, I think it's a couple. It's uh, Pennsylvania, where, where um, Dr. Mehmet Oz, who won a very closely contested uh, primary election with Donald Trump's endorsement is running against John Fetterman, who is the incumbent lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. It's um, I would say most of the polls suggest that Fetterman is either slightly ahead or the race is is pretty close. But most of the polls are saying Fetterman is, is slightly ahead. I think that race could go either way. Um, race in Ohio, uh, J.D. Vance is the Republican nominee. Again, another Trump uh, uh, endorsee. Uh, he's running against Congressman Tim Ryan, who is attempting to uh, run as a populist, uh, working class Democrat. Uh, the other U.S. senator from Ohio, the other Democrat, uh, this is a seat that Rob Portman is retiring from. Uh, the Democratic senator, Sherrod Brown, is your classic populist lunch bucket kind of Democrat. Uh, and uh, Tim Ryan is attempting to emulate uh the strategy that that has been successful for Sherrod Brown. I think in this race, Vance, because Ohio has clearly tilted Republican in recent years, Vance is likely to win, but this is not a for certain either. Um, another race, Wisconsin, Senator Ron Johnson seeking his third term, is running against the Lieutenant Governor there, a guy named Mandela Barnes. And uh, Ron Johnson has had the f- good fortune of running previously in two very good Republican years, 2010 and 2016, and uh, many think that uh, the third time is a charm for him. Democrats are are keenly interested in in defeating Ron Johnson. Um, I think they're that's a that's a clue, true toss up race. But I would I would give Johnson the the edge in that race. Okay. Um, okay. And, and the, the last one, what I'd say, it's it's very, there are two others that are very contested. Georgia, uh, uh, Senator uh, Raphael Warnock, who won the rest, the rest of a six-year term, uh, the two years remaining in a six-year term of a departed senator um, uh, in 2020. He won uh, that race very closely contested, is running against Another Trump uh, uh, endorseee, Herschel Walker. Herschel
1: who Walker, a, yes.
2: that yeah, was a football player and yeah. famous in that in that regard. Um, I would say that's a toss up, and maybe Senator Warnock is slightly ahead. And the last race I would I would highlight is um, Arizona, where Senator Mark Kelly, the former astronaut, is running. Um, Again, for the, he, he was elected uh, just two years ago for the unexpired term of the late Senator John McCain in a close race. And he's running against yet another Trump-endorsed uh, candidate. And, and that, um, in that race, uh, uh, that, that guy is a guy named Blake Masters. And he's uh, very much supported by uh, Donald Trump and the tech billionaire Peter Thiel. Um, Blake Masters used to work for Teal, in fact, and that's another uh, close toss up race. There's other races in Colorado and Washington state and New Hampshire that are worth uh, looking at. But those are the, those are the five seats that I think would be most determinative in terms of uh, which party wins control.
1: So John, uh, you know, uh, let's just wargame this out. Like, uh, uh- all of these Trump-inspired and endorsed candidates, if they win, that's a big boost for Trump. Maybe that he then declares for the presidency formally. Uh, if they all lose, does that have any bearing on what Donald Trump decides to do?
2: Good question. Um, you know, Donald Trump famously said that uh, he could go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone, and his supporters wouldn't uh, abandon him. And um, he, his, his uh, support has proved to be very uh, determinative in some of these races. And, uh, but whether or not that translates into general election success, I think many Republicans are fearful that because he's such a divisive character, even if the typically Republicans will often say they agreed with many of his policies or most of his policies, but they just didn't like him. They didn't like the way he conducted himself. They didn't like his personality. Um, it really runs the gamut. And uh, uh, But the Republican Party, the base of the Republican Party is still strongly aligned with Donald Trump, but that doesn't mean that uh, his running for, attempting to run for the presidency, again, is a good idea, good political idea for Republicans. Uh, I think we would be better uh, to turn the page and have a, a new candidate, uh, to run to, uh, and not re refight all of these, uh, battles that Donald Trump is engaged in, which frankly, many of them are, uh, seem more personal than policy disputes. So, so speaking
1: uh, of that, what, uh, any thoughts on, uh, Florida governor DeSantis?
2: Well, he clearly would is, would be the leading candidate, um, uh, were Trump not to run. Um, and then you have a number of other uh, potential candidates. Uh, uh, people have speculated about, uh, obviously, Nikki Haley, who's a former uh, UN ambassador, a former South Carolina governor, uh, Senator Tim Scott, African-American from South Carolina also, um, uh, Senator Ben Sass from from Nebraska. Uh, obviously, Ted Cruz has wanted to run previously, and, and many expect that the, that fervor still beats uh, strongly within him. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton from uh, Arizona, from uh, Arkansas, uh, who's got a very good record in the Senate, um, and uh, there's there's talk about uh, two governors, Glenn Youngkin, who was just elected last year from Virginia. Uh, who definitely uh, yeah has a more moderate tone about how he he's a definitely a conservative, but he he presents it in a in a more favorable way, so to speak. And Governor John Sununu from New Hampshire, who's enormously popular in New Hampshire, it'd be interesting to see how he would fare uh, as a presidential candidate, particularly given his popularity among Republicans in. New now New you Hampshire.
1: haven't mentioned uh, Vice President Pence at all.
2: Ah, and that was my mistake. Uh, Vice President Pence is definitely out there. He's campaigning for candidates. He's uh, definitely uh, trying to do what Richard Nixon did back in um, 1968, which is to uh, uh, having come off a political defeat eight years prior and then six years prior for governor of California, which he lost in 1962. And he famously said afterwards in his press conference you won't have Nixon to kick around anymore to the press. Well, six years later, he um, uh, was campaigning assiduously in 1966 uh, for other Republicans, was successful. That's what Mike Pence is attempting to do now. He is, he's out around the country campaigning for other Republicans, trying to build up chits and IOUs. And um, uh, so you can't discount Mike Pence as being a factor in the race.
1: So before we let you go... Um, just give us a sense because you've done it. None of us have done it except for you on this call. H- how do you run for Congress? Wh- what does, what does that take to do?
2: Well, it takes, um, a lot of stamina and endurance. It also takes the, um, the need to, if you're, if you're not a self-funding wealthy candidate, uh, you've got to go out there and raise the money. And, uh, um, that takes a lot of time and effort. Uh, you've, if you have a political base, that's, of course, uh, a, a very good thing to start from. When I ran for the Congress, I hadn't run for office in 10 years. And a lot of my political base uh, had kind of drifted away. So I had to go out and recreate it. And uh, you've just got to uh, go out there and and meet people and uh, convince your party leadership that you can be the strongest candidate. When I ran in 2016, I had a very well-funded primary opponent and uh, who outspent me in the primary about 1.9 million to 1.1 million is what and I spent.
1: And that was uh, just uh, in the primary. Holy that was
2: just the primary. And wow. I, uh, I got 67% of the vote in that primary. Uh, well, look at Tony in, in, in 2018, my race for reelection in Congress, uh, if you added up both the candidates, both parties and all the outside groups, that spent money in, in, in my congressional district, it was over $32 million spent in that race, which is a crazy amount of money. And I, I, candidly, I believe much of the money that's spent in politics is wasted uh, because I don't think uh, uh, voters after a while, they become immune to these blandishments, whether they're television or cable ads or digital ads or mail mail in their mailboxes. Um, But uh, the, Political process uh, always says better to err on the side of spending the money and and trying to get every last vote than to uh, not spend it and and come up short. So, you know, I I came up short in uh, eighteen, not for lack of spending. Although I was outspent in my race in eighteen, in in sixteen I was outspent as well, but not as heavily, and we were able to prevail. So, and a lot of this depends also on the the tide. In, in 2016, Donald Trump actually won my congressional district. I ran ahead of him. But in 2018, um, he slightly lost my congressional district. And uh, uh, a lot of those Trump voters from 2016 just simply didn't turn out. I'm, I'm sorry, in 20, he lo- lost my congressional district. Right. But in, in 18, uh, many of those Trump voters who voted both in sixteen and in twenty didn't turn out for the off year election.
1: Oh, I see. That's one yeah. of
2: the big things in this in these in these races, Tony. Who turns out, and that's that's something that both parties are working feverishly to try to get their supporters to the polls.
1: Jody, any uh, thoughts or questions for our guest?
0: No, you took all my questions.
1: I, I did it again, didn't I? You did. There we, there we go. Well, listen, John Faso, it's been great to have you on the program. A lot of keen insight there as we move towards the midterms in the U.S. of A. And as you know, Canadians study U.S. politics, talk U.S. politics, debate U.S. politics. So we feel like we're your your cousins who are watching very, very closely. So thanks for giving us your insights.
2: Great. Great to be with you and and your audience uh, and uh you be well and, and we will look forward and watch these races closely. And maybe we, after the, after it's over, we'll come back and do a post
0: mortem.
1: That would be a terrific idea. Thanks again, John.
2: Thank you.
0: Well, there you go. Lots of, uh, American political talk between you and John.
1: <laughs> we hadn't done that for a while though. It was good to get back into, uh, us politics a little bit. I know we've been focusing it on Canadian and, uh, so on, but, uh, it's it's just fascinating what's going on down there, and uh, I, I thought it would be nice to have a guy who's actually done it. Like he's run for Congress, he's won, he's lost, he's done it all. So there you go.
0: Maybe he's going to run for president. I didn't hear him drop his name.
1: He didn't drop his name, did he? Well, yeah. maybe if DeSantis falters, you never know.
0: <laughs>
1: you heard it here first.
0: Um. So yeah, you wanted to. We made you, we made mention of it, or you made mention of it, and I said we'll wait till the end, but wanted to chat a little bit about. Trudeau and a situation or a story that occurred uh, not that long ago regarding his appearance and his visit to the UK to honor the queen. So you want to, you want to set this up for our,
1: well, it's obviously uh, the thing is that this was the most viewed event in the history of the world. 5.1 billion people viewed part or all of the funeral that's sixty three percent of the world's population. So this this was the biggest television event of all time so far. And <laughs> what does Justin Trudeau do? He, for Canadians and for British who are in the know, he kind of stole some of the limelight a little bit with his uh, impromptu karaoke session at the uh, hotel bar on the Saturday night, belting out Bohemian Rhapsody, and. Uh, you know uh, there's it's it's as anything with Justin Trudeau it, it's it's completely polarized either you think this is despicable and you you know he shouldn't do this it's an affront to the dignity of his office and to the memory of her late uh, majesty or it's just a guy letting his hair down a little bit what's the big deal he was singing a couple of tunes on a you know with a piano and accompan- accompaniment so again depends on your point of view uh, I just found it fascinating to uh, for a couple of things. First of all, when the story kind of broke uh, in the morning, I guess the Monday morning, the morning of the funeral, uh, a bunch of people on Twitter were saying, well, this is obviously untrue. You're just trying to say nasty things about the prime minister. This never happened. And then the prime minister's office confirmed that it did happen and they were still denying these Trudeau, these true anons were still denying it to happen, even when the prime minister's office said, yeah, it happened. The second thing that has been noted is the difference between the mainstream media of Canada's treatment of it versus uh, the British and anyone else who's a sentient being. So, you know, you get these global news and CTV, you know, Trudeau uh, does a rendition of a song to honor her Majesty the Queen is their their take on it, and everybody else is saying, you know, drunken Trudeau. It's not been it's not been proved that he was drunk, but drunken <laughs> Trudeau, drunken Trudeau, uh, you know, defiles the honor of Her Majesty by late night partying. So it, again, it, I just found it interesting as a story. I'm not passing judgment on his activities, but I, I I found it interesting how different elements of the media treated it differently, and how different people treated it differently.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't even heard about it until you told me about it. So I, I obviously didn't come across my my desk, and I, I watched the clip personally. I I didn't think any I didn't think anything of it. I I, I have no. I was indifferent. I was like, big deal. I thought it was like whatever. I didn't really care. <laughs> so
1: and it'll go away quickly. It's just oh I, yeah. I, I, to me, it was just an interesting case study of how Trudeau, he does command the attention of people. When he does stuff like this, people lose their minds. Yeah. uh, And, or they lose their minds defending him, one of the two. Uh, So uh, that to me was more of the story than whether it was right or wrong for him to do it.
0: Yeah. So you're, and you're right. This won't last long at all. I'm sure it might be done tomorrow, actually. If it isn't yeah, done and, already. You know,
1: he's, he's off to the UN General Assembly. Uh, interestingly, uh, he's off to do that rather than to be in Parliament and face Pierre Polyev. So there
0: you go. I heard he's got it. I heard, though, that he's got an hour coming up. Pierre is going to be able to go at him for an hour this week, or is that not happening? Uh, I now? guess
1: maybe on the Wednesday. Yes. Yeah, so okay. uh, It'll be on the Wednesday because that is the caucus day. And so typically party leaders are around for caucus. And then they, uh, Trudeau's tradition has been to designate only one day a week. You know, Harper was there three
0: or four days a week doing question period. So. Oh. Where so? Where's Trudeau though? Like, if he's he's going somewhere else over there? He's like going tomorrow? to
1: New York, New York City for the UN General Assembly.
0: Oh, New York. Okay, so he'll be. He, yeah, so he'll likely be there Wednesday then. So he'll
1: be there Wednesday, and that'll be the big day because they they he would then he would take all the questions on the Wednesday is his kind of traditional way of doing things one day a week, uh, and um, you know uh, each caucus is all revved up because they've just had a caucus meeting an hour before. The House of Commons resumes and so they're all loaded for bear, as they say. And uh, so that'll be that'll be interesting to
0: watch. And they've pounded like sixteen cases of Red Bull and they're just, <laughs> they're just fair... flying high.
1: Yeah, they've got a little bit of Red Bull there. And some muffins, you know, they got some good muffins there. That's about it.
0: <laughs> oh. For some reason, what was the name of that one uh oh, he was in Chris Alexander's riding, that liberal was that one liberal there? What was that guy's name again? Was his name Mark something? Holland. Mark Holland I just picture him all of a sudden like if he was all jacked up on Red Bull ripping his shirt open and just yeah you know, running down on the floor and screaming I think
1: he's the liberal whip these days so yeah I could see him doing that too that's right
0: he get he can get fired up too oh yeah
1: yeah I know he does he does you're right
0: uh, we should have speaking of Chris Alexander we should get him on the show I haven't heard from him in a long time
1: oh I think we did way back when like it was one of our first podcasts Joe. yeah yeah
0: no he was on a long time ago yeah
1: yeah. We'll, but, we'll see uh, what we what what he's up to. And that's a good, that's a good idea. Yeah. Lots of good ideas out there. Lots of people well, to interview.
0: You know, it's uh, we haven't cornered the market on all of them yet, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll uh, we'll see what we can do. Okay. Wow. That's uh, that's all I got for today. I, that's uh, great.
1: That's great, man. It's good to hear your voice and uh, hope you're, hope you're well, the family's well, I hope too.
0: I heard that you spoke a little bit at the uh, leadership convention for the conservatives when you were there and, your opening line was something like, hey, everybody, I just flew in from Toronto, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, that was... No, uh, I, I did not want to... go-to make the, opener? I didn't want to make the leadership uh, announcement any longer than it already was, so I didn't do that. No,
0: this is, this is Tony's go, go-to go opener. Enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> <laughs> you got the...
1: Good. I'm glad we're using the new Zencaster uh, uh, tools here. That's sure.
0: great. We've always had that, actually. I just never used them. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again to Municipal Solutions and their continued support as our presenting sponsor. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. Also, Hunters Bay Radio, 88.7 every Saturday morning. You can catch the program on terrestrial radio. And finally, loonypolitics.com. You can find us there and become an annual subscriber by using the code podcast to get 50% off of your Woo. subscription. So make sure you do that today at looneypolitics.com Tony, we will do this again in seven days.
1: Can't wait.